Good morning, Spirit of Grace. It's so wonderful to see all of you and to feel what we're feeling in the house today. Um, just a oneness of spirit, even when you walk through the fellowship hall. Everybody just loving on one another and greeting each other and wanting to catch up and talk. and um, That's the family, the body of Christ, and I'm so thankful for that. Amen. Just the joy of the Lord is present in this place, and we're excited about that. We want to celebrate him and his love for us. No one loves us like he does. No one loves us like he does. Let's stand. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for giving us strength in our bodies, Lord, and allowing us to be in your house together. We've come to worship you in spirit and in truth, to honor you and exalt you, Jesus. We bless your name. Praise God. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions by glory I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me and oh how he loves us so oh how he loves us how he loves us
each one individually, God. You delight in each relationship, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. I honor you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for me, God. Thank you for your love for each one. Thank you for the way you go so far to seek us, God, to seek us out, to have relationship with us, Jesus. Thank you for your precious, powerful love, your life-changing love. Praise God. Praise God. Every week is different, and I love each one because he shows us how he moves but he moves in a different way all the time. And each time is just what we need. Praise God. Lift your hands if you're thankful for the great love of God. Praise God. We're so thankful, Jesus. We're grateful. And we want you to know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Praise God. I was hopeless. I knew I was lost. Death and darkness were my only songs. I needed someone to come and rescue me. Then mercy heard my plea. And Lord, you found me. You healed me. You called me from the grave. You gave me your real love. I thank you, Jesus. You washed my sins away. And now I'm living like I'm forgiven. You came and set me free. That's what your mercy did for me. You gave me beauty. From my guilty stains And now I'm living Day to day by your grace So excuse me if I can't contain my praise Cause I know that I've been saved And Lord you found me You healed me You called me from the grave you gave me your real love i thank you jesus you washed my sins away and now i'm living like i'm forgiven you came and set me free that's what your mercy did for me and every morning mercy will forgiven you came and set me free 
That's what your mercy did for me. Oh, yes. And every morning, mercy will restore me. I will proclaim. Oh, and even if the world may fall before me, oh, Jesus, you washed my sins away, and now I'm living like I'm forgiven. You came and set me free. That's what your mercy did for me. Thank you, Jesus. That's what your mercy did for me. Hallelujah. That's what your mercy did for me. If you've been living like you thought maybe you were forgiven or you weren't sure, he shed his blood for you. Live like you have been forgiven because you can stand firm in that. He gave himself. Praise God. He paid the ultimate sacrifice for our lives and we have a reason to rejoice. This is amazing grace. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Hallelujah! Who rules the nations? With truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The King of glory, the King above all kings. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. 
Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, and worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Oh, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Oh, that you would take my God isn't God good all the time and all the time God is good praise God we want to before you're seated we want to go before the Lord in prayer I'm asking Tony Welsh to come we want to pray over this handkerchief he's requested he's taking this to his boss and her husband who is starting to deal with cancer and we want to pray over them if you feel so led, I'm going to anoint this with oil, and then I have Tony uh, let's rub that together. If you have faith that God is able to heal abundantly, would you just come and have Tony turn around and just lay hands on this handkerchief, and let's pray together in the name of Jesus. Lord, by the authority of your word and the power that's in your blood. I pray right now, Lord, that you would just allow the glory of God and the healing power of God to go to fill. I'm asking you to touch him, strengthen him. Let this be a testimony to his family, to his wife. Lord, let it be a testimony to uh, Tony's boss, God, that you would just minister to them in a divine way. God, we're thankful for the glory and the power of God. We'll love you forever. We'll praise you forever. We'll give you all glory and honor and dominion and power. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. By your power and authority. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Thank you for your prayers. Praise God. Continue to pray. His name is Phil. 
uh, what's her name? Becky. Phil and Becky, that the Lord would just touch them and use this season to uh, lead them and guide them in the next steps of their journey. You can be seated in Jesus' name. Thank you for your worship today. Amen, amen. Uh, we're glad that you're here today, and I'm going to, first of all, wish Revan a happy birthday. 26 years old today. Praise God. He's already learned to confuse me. He's not sitting in his stall back there. Praise God. We're so glad for that. Amen, amen. It's so good to be a part of the family of God. And uh, we're looking forward to what God is going to do in coming weeks. Believe it or not, we are two weeks from Easter. Amen. And uh, because of that, it's going to be a great two weeks. But it's kind of snuck up on us, and uh, we're looking forward to what God has for us. Invite somebody to come with you and be a part of the things of God. Amen. And uh, I need to just take a two-second time out because I realized why I'm echoing up here. Can you just hit channel two and just lower me down just a little bit? I raised the master volume and didn't bring my mic down there. That's better. Thank you. And uh, so we're excited about what's happening in the next coming weeks and uh, looking forward to many people's lives being changed. Um, I'm going to teach you today, maybe a little preaching, I don't know, depends on what hits me. But uh, I'm going to share with you something that will change your life. <clears throat> and uh, it's something that we only do around here about once a year. And I want to talk about finances today. Uh, there you go. Thank you. Praise God. We don't, we don't emphasize finances around here, not for any other reason than I just follow the leading of the Lord. Um, I was, uh, during Bradley's testimony uh, a couple weeks ago, I was so encouraged when he said, you know, we were like the first church that he had ever come to that we didn't pass the plate. And he said, and I've given more by putting it in the box than I ever did when I passed the plate. And um, we, we don't pass a plate here because if you pass a plate, you're collecting an offering. And people aren't giving it. Offerings are to be given, not to be taken. And so that's one of the reasons why we don't pass a plate here at Spirit of Grace Church. And when we started doing this, and it's been probably five years ago now already, maybe even longer than that. Our giving has not suffered whatsoever. In fact, it's gone up. And so uh, you have the opportunity to give in a box back there. You can give online. You can mail it to our P.O. box, all of those things. But I want to share with you the concept of stewardship. Now, some of this will be a repeat for some of you um, because you've been around here for a while. Uh, if you're newer to Spirit of Grace Church, you have to understand that we, I, I only literally deal with finances about once a year, unless the Lord really leads me on something, but it's really just about once a year, and 
I'm actually probably a month behind when I usually do it. And uh, I just felt yesterday as we were getting ready for today that for whatever reason, today was the day that the Lord wanted me to speak to you on this. And so if you'll turn in Matthew, and Owen's going to help us on the screen, Matthew chapter 6. I'm reading from New Living Translation in all of the scriptures today. Uh, and, And so... I want to just read three scriptures in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse number 19. Jesus is speaking. If you have red letter edition Bible, you'll see that the letters are red. So we know that Jesus is talking here. So these words are not pastor's words. These are Jesus' words. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And now turning over to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, this is kind of the parallel version of Matthew 6, but uh, Luke chapter 12, I want to read two verses there, starting at verse number 30. I believe it is and it says this sell your possessions and give to those in need this will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes aren't you glad for that your treasure will be safe no thief can steal and no moth can destroy it wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also so Matthew and Luke are teaching us a principle here that you and I would be wise to grab a hold of and that is there is a way to put into if you will a bank account in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt now how many here have either a pension an IRA, a 401k, some kind of a retirement plan. How many? All across here. Now, how many have, how many pay attention to it? Okay, there's a couple of hands down a little bit further. Okay, I watch mine all the time. Okay, and and here's what I have noticed about those accounts is that it goes like this. If you look at a chart, you'll go up a little bit and you'll go way down and up and way down. And basically what your hope is, is that when you get to the time of retirement, you're at a peak instead of a valley. That's what your hope is because there are holes, there are things that change it. But when you put it in heaven, when you place your finance in heavenly hands, there is only one direction it can go and that is straight up. And and so I want to teach on successful stewardship and uh, the reason why I do this and again I've got to make some disclaimers because some of you are newer to Spirit of Grace Church I never teach on finance when the church needs finance I only teach on finance when the church is doing really well because I don't teach this to manipulate money out of you Uh, We've never, thank God, have ever had to take up an offering to pay the light bill or the mortgage payment 
we have presented the concept of finance to the people of this church and the people of this church have grabbed a hold of it and because they've grabbed a hold of it we've never had a problem with our finances uh, which is mind-blowing even when we went in to purchase this and build this complex the bankers looked at us and were amazed at our finances based off of who it is and and I'm going to tell you the reason why here in just a second Daniel Webster said it this way he said the most important thought I ever had was that of my individual responsibility to God we do have a corporate we are the body of Christ we do have a corporate responsibility but we also have a individual personal responsibility or when I'm talking individual I'm also talking family unit okay family units um, you know once you're a family you're you're stuck with one another um, but here is the reason why the finances of this local assembly have been blessed by God is we are the antithesis of this statement 90% of American Christians do not tithe now our churches flip the opposite we have probably between 80 and 90% of you that faithfully tithe and that's why our finances are blessed but 90% of people that claim to be Christian claim to be followers of Christ do not tithe according to I think it's a Barna research in fact it was once said this if every American Christian listen to this if every American Christian went on welfare but paid tithes on it church giving would go up 50% now here's the reason why I teach financial stewardship because Jesus did that's really the underlying reason but the other reason is if we get a hold of this it transforms our life in this world now this is not a get-rich-quick scheme it is not if you give a hundred dollars he'll give you a hundredfold on that but there are some promises that God gives us if we are in financial partnership with him and that's the reason why I do it did you know that the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John contain more warnings against money and its misuse than any other subject money is a good servant and a terrible master I'll say that again it's a good servant I like to have money I do I don't like going to stores without money But money can be a terrible master. If we allow money to run us, then we're in bad shape. But if we allow money to be used by us, it's an entirely different story. Think of this. One in every four verses, one in every four verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with money. And one in every six verses in the entire New Testament makes reference to money or finance in some way do you think it's an important topic to approach as Christians I, I think the the writers of the New Testament understood that in fact 16 out of 38 parables make reference to money there is more said about money in the Bible than the subjects of heaven and hell combined I'll say that again there's more subject matter on money than heaven and hell combined and yet majority of churches are all about how to get 
out of hell and get into heaven. And uh, there are 500 verses that deal with prayer and faith. There's 2,000 verses that deal with money and possessions. The first disciple failed over money, Judas Iscariot, if you read John chapter 12. The first sin in the early church in Acts chapter 5 dealt with dishonored stewardship. So, Pastor, why are you teaching this to us? Because it's very vital to our well-being. And it's very vital to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. I love when we have those services where the presence of God just lays us out and we have goosebump city from the top of our head to the sole of our feet and it's like touching electricity and and all of those things but finance is where the rubber meets the road in fact do you, do you did you know that the only place in scripture where somebody asked how to get to heaven or how to get eternal life jesus response was go sell whatever you have and give to the poor i'm not asking you to do that I'm not asking you to, to give everything and go give it to the poor. But if God does, are you willing? Okay, so let me go on here a little bit further. The issue of tithing and giving, the reason why I teach this is because your money is not a financial thing, it's a lordship thing. Who's your lord? Okay, who's your lord? And, and when, when I break this down today, if you really take a step back and look at the full parameters of things, God asks you very little. Very little compared to the overall of what we have the opportunity to possess. To possess. Lordship speaks of ownership and authority. He owns what we have, and he's the one who says what we should do with it. Okay? Now, let me say that again. He owns what we have, and he's the one who says what we should do with it. Not me. I can't tell you where do you spend your money. And, and I may just take a pause here. I don't know who in this church gives and who doesn't. There's only one person, and she's on vacation this weekend. So as I'm teaching this, I have no idea who gives and who doesn't give in this church. Okay? And, and so the only thing that I ask Taryn is uh, for our leadership staff. Are they faithfully giving? I don't ask how much. I don't ask, but are they faithfully? Because I believe that if you're going to be a leader in the church, you should be invested in the church. Okay, but I don't have, I don't have a tithing record. I don't have a giving record. Okay, that's not my purview. That's up, and that's why I can come to you today, and I have nobody in mind while I'm teaching this because I have no idea whether you're giving or not. D.L. Moody said it this way: "I baptize people with their wallets still in their pockets." You see, if God is truly Lord, that means 100% of what I have is His. 100% of what I have is His. And, and He lets me use 90% of it. Now, because I'm broke today, and my wife hasn't given me my allowance... See, Paul's with me. I don't have the illustration that I usually use. But if I had 10 $1 bills in my hand and I gave one in the offering and I had nine, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it? 
90% of what everything is that, that we have, God lets us use it. That's why the little bit that he asks of us is, it's amazing to me that we struggle with it. Now, I'm going to reapproach that here in just a minute, but there are three main financial theories in the world today. And then there's some offshoots of each one of those. The first one is communism. The second one is capitalism. And the third one is Christianity. It's the three basic economic structures in the world today. Communism tells you that simply that everything is the instrument of the state. That nobody should own anything. It should all be pooled together and somebody that's smarter than everybody else should divvy it, divvy it up and tell you what you can and can't do with it. Okay, that's communism. Capitalism is the opposite of that. Capitalism says that the individual person has the right to ownership and control over their finances and over their economic situation. Okay? And just on a political level, I lean capitalistic. Just to let you know, I believe that God has allowed us this opportunity. But where I really fall is in Christianity, which means God owns it all. The state doesn't own it. The state doesn't control it. But do you notice what capitalism does? It says that each individual can both own it and control it. And see, this is where a lot of people in America especially have problems when preachers get up and talk about finance because they come from a capitalistic mindset that says it's mine. It's my right to own it. Okay? But in a Christian aspect and in the biblical terms, we don't own anything. It's all His. He lets us borrow it. He lets us use it. He gives it to us. My home, on the deed, it's Tim Sanders. It's Timothy A., actually. It's, but, but in all actuality, God's the one that has my home. God's the one that possesses my vehicles. God's the one that possesses my clothes. It's either all his or it's all mine. It can't be. The Bible says it this way. You can't serve both God and mammon. So I have to make the decision and you have to make the decision. Is it all his or is it mine? It can't be both. Okay? So is it mine or is it his? I choose to say that it's his. Okay? And because I have chosen to say that it's his, he lets me become one of two things. A sea of Galilee or a dead sea? You see, if you decide to choose that it's all yours, then you will look at the way you spend money and the way you use your finance uh, only in the relationship to what's good for you. And what you end up being is a dead sea. There's no outlet except for where you think the outlet should be. But if you think that it's all his, you become a Sea of Galilee, which, has, uh, which is one of the richest uh, lakes in the world, and, or seas in the world, it depends on how you want to call it, lake or sea, same thing. And, and as it goes through, it comes, goes through and it, it gets in there, and then there's an outlet to it that leaves it vibrant. The Dead Sea is dead. Here's what happens with our finances. If it's all about us, we may be financially rich, but emotionally unstable. 
There are so many people that have money growing out their ears that are miserable. And you see it and you read about it all of the time. And then there are those people that don't hardly have anything, but they have a smile on their face. Because What's the difference? Here's the difference. If it's his, it's all his. And if it's his and I'm partnered with him, then it really doesn't matter how bad it's getting here because I'm connected to him. But if I have everything I want in this world and I'm disconnected from him, I will feel that. And that's why people are miserable. So ownership, uh, look at uh, Psalm chapter 20, or Psalm chapter, I'd get in trouble in school. Psalm 24, they're not chapter, they're Psalms. Psalm 24. Brother Norris, forgive me. Psalm 24. Verse number one says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everybody say everything. The world and all its people belong to him. Now, this is also a scripture that I use in response to Luke chapter 19, which we're going to visit in a few minutes, where the Bible says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Okay? That's not talking about people. That's talking about communion because here we know all people. The murderer, the Satanist, the reprobate, they all belong to God already because the earth is his, the fullness thereof, all the world and the people therein. For he laid the foundation, the earth's foundation on the seas and he built it upon the ocean's depths. So if everything in the earth is the Lord's, that lets me know that the church is God's, the air is God's, your coffee is God's, your shoes are God's, and he lets you use 90%. I had a conversation, this was years ago, um, and if you get to know me at all, I learned something from uh, uh, David Norris, and that is never answer a question that's asked to you. Always answer with another question. My wife just said it, it's infuriating. She was in the same Bible college and she finally raised her hand and Brother Norris said, just tell me what I believe. <laughs> because he would just say, so I was talking to a young person in this manner and they said, well, pastor, God didn't send me a check this week. I earned it. I worked for it. It's mine. So I asked him, a question. I didn't argue with him, I just asked him a question. I said, well, who gave you the strength to work? He thought for a minute and then he thought he was going to be bright. He said, well, I ate right this week, and I worked out, and I got my sleep, and so I was able to work. I said, okay. I said, who made it so that the nutrients in what you ate and the work that you did caused your muscles to become strengthened so that you could work and earn your money? Had no answer. He came back again after a second after thinking about it, and, and, and I guess maybe this is just a warning. Try not to debate me. But anyhow, I'm just teasing. He, he came back and he said, but pastor, I'm my own person. I said, well, how did you become your own person? I said, God created you that way. No, 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 God didn't create. Mom and dad created me. He thought he had me. Until I stopped and I said, well, who made mom and dad? 
You see, no matter how long you want to take this argument, eventually it's going to come down to God. And so when you talk about finance, it doesn't matter how long you want to argue about it, when you finance and possessions and things, no matter how, when you get right down to it, to the very foundation of it, you're going to find God. So you might as well just sit back and say, well, God, if it's all yours that way, well, it's just going to all be yours. And you tell me how to operate it. You tell me how to steward it. You tell me how you want to use it. Now, some people said, well, how do we know that tithing is 10%? Well, here again, you have to do your biblical interpretation, word, verse, chapter, book, Bible. If you go to the very first thing, the word, the word tithe in Greek and Hebrew means 10%, or a tenth of everything that you own. So that's why 10% is your tithe. Now, I've also heard this argument from people, well, tithing was, was part of the law, and Jesus came to fulfill the law, so we don't have to tithe anymore. Well, you're misinterpreting Scripture, because tithing predates the law. By hundreds of years, actually. In, in Genesis 14, Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, who if you have any theological background, you'll see that Melchizedek is a type and shadow of Christ who is to come. And that happened over 400 years before the law. And then in Genesis 28, J Jacob gave tithes at least 269 years before the law was given. So the law did not establish tithing. The law incorporated tithing. So look with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 11, or chapter 12. That's that one that's spelled backwards. D-E-U instead of D-U-E. Deuteronomy chapter 12. I want to read one scripture here in verse number 11. I'll read the last part of verse 10 and then Owen can catch me at 11. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and you're living safely in the land, you must, everybody say must. It's a requirement. You must bring everything I command you. Your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. So in Deuteronomy, we find here that God says you've got to bring all of these things to the place where the Lord is housed, if you will. In the case of Spirit of Grace Church, that's here. Okay? And notice that he lists a bunch of different offerings and tithes. Okay? That's because tithes are not an offering. Tithes are a tithe. Offerings are offerings, and I'll talk about that in just a, a few minutes as well. Because tithing is not your gift to God, it is his, the return on his investment. Now all of you that raised your hands that have a 401k or a pension or some kind of an IRA retirement, what would happen if you put that in there and they took away all your dividends? What would your first response be? Somebody's ripping me off. Because I've invested in your portfolio and I'm expecting a return on my investment. Okay? 
God has invested in you with a home, with a car, with a job, with health, with money, with whatever it is that you claim to be yours. God has invested it in you, and he has invested in you with the expectation that there's going to be a 10% return on his investment. And then you get to choose where you spend the other 90%. Now that's a, that's a pretty big deal. How many of you would do that for me? Think about it. How many of you would give me $100 every week, I'll give you $10 back, and you let me do $90, whatever I want to do? The honesty of children. And yet that's what God does for us. He gives us 100%. He said, I just want 10%. And the reason he wants 10% back is because he wants his kingdom to grow. He doesn't need another dollar from us. He doesn't need any gold. He doesn't need any silver. I mean, come on. The one that is preparing the place with purest gold streets, with no potholes, walls of jasper sea of crystal. Do you think he needs another penny from me? It's not about him. It's about the kingdom. And every penny that I turn back on his investment, he reinvests it into the kingdom. And some of you are sitting here today because there have been people in the past in this church that have invested that 10% back into the kingdom. And because the investment was placed there, God opened up a door and an opportunity for you to be here. Does that make sense? So some people will tell you, well, let me just throw this in here. I learned this from my father-in-law. I did not learn this from Bible school. I don't know why. I must not have been listening that day. But did you know that in Leviticus chapter 27, that if you miss giving your tithe, God demands that you repay that tithe plus 20% on top of that? Read it. Leviticus 27, 13. That, and he, he requires an additional 20%. My father-in-law did that his entire life. If he forgot his checkbook one day and didn't have to, to pay his tithe, he came back the next week and he paid his tithe plus 20%. He took it literally. I learned that from him. But that's what God, that's how important the concept of a tithe is. And just a friendly reminder, it's not me telling you that it's important. It's him telling you that it's important. I don't teach this to condemn anybody. I'm teaching this to release you into something more powerful and more anointed in your life. I have heard it said that tithing is just an Old Testament thing. No, 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 no. Tithing predates law, which means it's a moral principle. Therefore, tithing is timeless. And as far as I can find anywhere in Scripture, there is no other economic structure to support the local work of God in any city. Um, in fact, in Matthew 22, verse 21, not sure if I gave that to Owen or not, but Matthew 22, 21, I'll just back up a little bit to verse 15, and then he can catch up if, if it's on there. Then the Pharisees met together 
to plot how to trap Jesus into something, to saying something for which he could be arrested. And so they sent some of the disciples along with the supporters of Herod to meet with him. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. Now, if anybody comes and flatters you like that, get ready for the hammer to come down. Now tell us what you think about this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, he's trying to trap Je- they're trying to trap Jesus because the Messiah in their minds was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire, not acquiesce to it. Okay? And so the preconceived idea of what Jesus was going to be was to forget about Rome, overcome Rome. And so obviously if you're going to over, uh, overcome Rome, you're going to get rid of the tax system. But Jesus knew their evil motives and he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me the coin used for the tax. And when they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? They said, Caesar's. Well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Now, some people will say, well, see, that this lets you know that you don't have to give money to God. No, no, no. That's saying that there is a money designed for earth and there is a money designed for heaven. And the motive is what dictates which it's going to be. Because money is not evil. The love of money is evil. Money is needed. Money is the way we interact with life. Money, I hope to have money to pay my bills. So money is not evil, but the motivation of money is evil. And so their motivation was skip out on this and don't do this and I'm going to hold this, I'm going to hoard this. And, and, and what Jesus says, no, 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 pay your taxes. Just a friendly reminder, pay your taxes. And give to God what belongs to God. And, and, and so it's a New Testament principle. And, and so well, what, do, what belongs to God? Well, go over one chapter to Matthew chapter 23 and look at verse number 23. He says this. This is Jesus talking again. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. And the teachers of today that say tithing is not for the New Testament stop there. And they say, see, Jesus is saying we don't have to tithe anymore. The Pharisees, it became a Pharisaical thing to tithe. No, the Pharisees were right in their tithing. They were wrong in giving up the other things. Because if you continue to read that verse, Jesus says, you should tithe, yes. But do not neglect the more important things. And then there's a replay of that in, cha- in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. We won't read that right now. And then you read the book of Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 7. All of these are dealing with tithing. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 7, tithing is mentioned nine times. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is written to a local church, and I'm going to give you the reason for the concept of tithe. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 
verse number 13. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial altar offerings? Verse 14. In the same way, in other words, in the Old Testament, they would bring animals, sacrifices, and the, the, the Levites who did not have property of their own, did not have a say, did not, they were their own tribe, but they lived in the temples and they served the people. They lived off of the animal sacrifices and they would eat that and that would be their sustenance. And now Paul is telling the Corinthian church, in the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet I have never used any of these rites. So tithing is support those that preach the gospel. It's the reason why we shared with you in our business meeting that a healthy financial budget for a local assembly is what it is, and we're heading that direction as a church. We're not totally there yet, but the principle is found in Scripture. Now, I don't believe personally that the local tithe is for the pastor only. Okay? I believe that there's a whole lot more people than just me that declare the good news in this church. Every ministry that we have declares the good news to this church. And so our tithe, can I just be honest with you? If I took all of our tithe, I'd be a wealthy man. I wouldn't be at Aramark, I can tell you that much. Because you are a tithing church. But tithe goes to support the ministry of the preaching and the declaring of the good news of the gospel, which means it goes to pay some light bills. Because I don't know about you, my voice would not be able to handle it without a microphone. And I don't think I've been here in the dark. We wouldn't want to be in the dark. Okay? I, we, 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 you understand what I'm saying? So at Spirit of Grace Church, and I don't know how any other pastors do it, that's their business between them and God. But here locally, the tithe runs the church. It keeps it going. And then there's a certain amount of that tithe that does support my wife and I and my kids. And, and we have to get that to where it's healthy and where we're right and, and we're on the, on the right track with that. Our board is helping us with that. All of that's going. So, so don't, I, I'm not asking you to give your tithe because I need a pay raise. I'm asking you to give a tithe or to pay your tithe because it's the motor or the engine that keeps the church functioning. And the better and more consistent the tithe. Can I just tell you when we sit in a board meeting, you can ask the board members that are here. I look at our, our, our reports that we get every month from Taryn, and, and you can almost ask them to each one. I, I always say, I don't even pay attention to the offerings. I just look at the tithe. Here's the reason why. Offerings come and go. Offerings come in from people that don't even attend our church. And we use that money that comes in as well, but... What is the, okay, let me put it to you in household terms. I don't create a household budget based off of checks that show up in the mail because somebody's given me a check. That's happened before. People just would send a check and say, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to give you this. Thank God. Dinner. But I would be foolish to build my budget and how I live and operate our family 
without looking at what comes in consistently. Okay? And so tithing is the thing that makes the church operate. Now, I want to turn back again, and if you'll give me just about, just a couple of more minutes. Malachi chapter 3, I was going to put a time limit on it, but I better not. Malachi chapter 3, this is probably the most famous passage about tithe and offerings. Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse number 8. Should people cheat God? King James Version uses the word rob. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. Again, God's saying this, but you ask, what do you mean? When did we cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for the land, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. There is a principle of cheating God and robbing God from tithe and offering. Now, if I sat down with any of you and I said, would you really want to rob God? I would venture to say that nobody would say that they would want to do that. And yet, like I stated at the beginning of this lesson, 90% of Christians are doing exactly that. And here's the reason why it's robbery. Because your tithe is a return on God's investment. And you are removing it out of his hands. The flip side is this. If I told you, if I, if I was having a startup company, and I told you, whatever you invest, I'll give you 10% return, minimum. It would be a pretty good investment. I mean, the average return on investment is 7.3 right now. So that's 3% more, 2.5% more than just the average. 10% return. But if I gave you that, or you invested in my company, and I did not give that investment back to you, we would be going to court because you would be suing for your investment return. Because I, as the business owner, have now robbed you. Well, on a grander scheme, God has said, I'm giving you this. And remember, I can take every argument back to God. God owns it all. It's his. And he's saying, I just want to partner with you, and I will give you 90% to use. I just want you to give 10% or repay 10% into where the funds are collected of the local assembly, according to Deuteronomy. And if you'll just do that, 
the Bible says two things are promised. Number one, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. It does not say he'll give you cash. It does not say he will give you jewels. It says he will pour out a blessing. A blessing can be a child that hasn't been serving God all of a sudden shows up at church one day. Because why? Because you've been praying for them? Certainly. But because you are invested with God, he's opened up heaven and he's getting the attention of somebody that you love and that you've been praying for. Because here's the thing with your tithe. When you give it back to God, you are partnering with Him. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm starting a business, I'm not starting a business with John Doe on the street corner. But I am going to find somebody that knows how to do business and that has the resource. Warren Buffett. Come on, Warren. You and me. You got the money. You've done it before. I'll, 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 I'll partner with you. And you give me 100% of what you have, I'll give you 10% back. That's what God says. I'm going to partner with the one that controls it all. Warren Buffett has nothing on who I'm partnered with. And the second promise is that you can try him. It's the only time in Scripture that God gives us permission to try him and see if he won't keep his word when we're partnered with him. So I want to say two things here, and it's going to sound almost harsh, but it's not really harsh, and that is this. How many of you have ever asked somebody to pray because of a financial situation in your life? Several of us, okay? If you ask me that, I'm going to ask you a question first before I pray with you. I'm going to say, have you been tithing? And if your answer is yes, I'm going to say, then let's pray. But if your answer is no, I'm going to say, I've already had the answer. I don't need to pray about it. The answer is you've got to start tithing because that's what God says. God says if you'll tithe, then he's going to open up the windows of heaven. I don't need to seek God for a financial miracle if you're not tithing because I already know the answer to your financial need. I had one person that just about got in trouble with me. And I could feel my wife and, 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 and the others that were there that knew me. They made this statement. They said, I really can't afford to tithe. And they all just kind of went, because they knew what I was getting ready to say. I said, well, it sounds to me, if you're in that dire straits, that you cannot afford not to tithe because you're not connected with the source of everything. Look unto the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help comes from the Lord. The problem is, is if you're not partnered with him in tithe, you aren't looking to the hills. You're looking to maybe the mountains of debt you're maybe looking to the financial problem. Is this just a quick, get quick screen? This is not a get quit. This is an attitude and a characteristic of a true Christian that I will repay or I will, re, uh, I will give, I will place my tithe back in God's hands 
And somebody said, well, I don't do that to the church. Well, then you're not doing what he told us to do in Deuteronomy. We read it today. Well, I pay my tithe here and here and here and here. That's not what Scripture tells us to do. What you're doing is really giving offerings. And I'm going to take two minutes because offerings are simply this. Offerings are free will giving. So an offering is this. I return his investment in me at 10%. There it is, God. But you've done so much for me. Here's another offering. God, you loved me when I was unlovable. Here's what I've got. I've got two mites. I don't have much, God, but it's, it's what I have to give right now. You see, the problem that people have with teaching like this that I have found is they put tithe and offerings in the same grouping. Like tithing is just something you can decide whether you want to do or not. Tithing is his. It's the 10% that he asks for. The offering is what will you give him. Well, pastor, what does that mean? Well, there's one preacher that has taught a great series. And I would encourage you to do it. Go to, 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 to just Google The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. Phenomenal teaching on giving and having a blessed life. In that series, he tells us, I think it's three times that God told him to sell everything, house, cars, everything, sell it all and give it away. And he said, now I'm telling you, that's not what I'm asking of you. And today I'm not asking you to walk out the doors and go sell your house and your cars and everything and then bring an offering to the house of the Lord next week. That's not what I'm asking. Unless God tells you to do it. But see, Pastor Morris was a tither. He was already in business dealings with God. He was already partnered with God. So when his business partner said, give this all away, sell this and give it all away, he knew the business partner that he was connected with and he was willing to give it all away and God restores it all. You see, that's the relationship God is. This is why I'm telling you this concept will transform and change your life because you are partnered with God. Here's the thing. When you've done everything that you know to do that's right, you're tithing faithfully, you're giving of your offerings, and you're driving down the street, and you get a flat tire. Who's the first person you call? To me, it's not AAA. God, I am partnered with you, so however this works out, I'm putting this in your hands. This is a business expense. There's testimony upon testimony in this church of people that before they began to tithe, 
couldn't figure out how to make their money last for the month. And when they began to tithe, miraculously there was money at the end of the month. Can I tell you why? And I'll close with this. Luke chapter 19. I was teaching this last Wednesday night and I don't know why. It's one of those things, the more you search the scriptures, it just kind of slaps you in the face from time to time. And I'm like, how did I not see this in 50 years? I mean, I've heard the first part of chapter 19 my entire life. We sang songs about it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as he passed that way, Jesus looked up and knew exactly who he was and where he was, and he said, I'm coming to your house. And then when he was criticized for going to his house, he says in verse Number 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know why, maybe it's because it's like this Bible and I had to turn the page. This, there's no chapter and verse in the writings of Scripture. Chapters and verses were added by translators later to help us find things. The very next section of Scripture so as soon as Jesus says he came to seek and to save that which was lost, he went into this conversation. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. He said this, a nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. Obviously, this is talking about Jesus himself. But before he left, he called together 10 of his servants, and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver. Invest this for me while I am gone. The King James Version says, Occupy till I come. But his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want you to be our king. And after he was crowned king, he returned and called his servants to whom he had given money, and he wanted to find out what their profits were. The first uh, servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made ten times the original amount. Well done. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted you. You see, we like to take this out of the financial realm. Place it. We use the, the Matthew version that talks of, or the Mark version that talks about talents. Not realizing that the word talents in Scripture is money. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. And the king said, You, uh, have, have, you will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount and said, Master, I hid your money and kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. You wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what isn't mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, which isn't true, by the way, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then turning to the others standing nearby, the king ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has ten pounds. But master, they said, he already has ten pounds. Yes, the king replied, and to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to be their king, bring them in and execute them right here in front of me. 
the principle of tithes and offering is simply this. He has given it all to us. And when we give it back to him, he's waiting to see how you react with your finance as to whether you're going to get more. If you're faithful in the little things, what's the little things? 10% out of 100? Think about it. It's, it's, it's little. $1,000, it's $100. You still have $900. But if you're faithful in the little things, he's going to give you responsibility in big things. But notice what happens. And I'm closing with this. When he gives you responsibility in big things, what happens? He finances it with the stuff that those that aren't a part of it Those that won't partner. Those that won't be a part of God's business and God's kingdom, if you will. And all of a sudden, the blessings and the things that God had designed for them, because they weren't invested in the things of God, He takes them from that person and He gives it to the person that has partnered with Him. I can only say this on a personal level but as long as my wife and I have tithed God has always met our needs does that mean we've become rich not financially emotionally spiritually mentally You see, here, here's the thing. As we tithe, God has released more revelation. Not that it wasn't ever there before. His word's forever established in heaven. It's that my eyes didn't recognize it. I've drawn closer to God. Well, that's because you pray more. No. Well, you fast more. No. Well, you what am I doing more? I'm continuing the little thing. Because when I was, times have changed. When I turned 22, a month later I got married. And my first full-time job as a married person I made $250 a week. How do I know that? Because my wife started the same place and she got the other $250. So between the two of us, we made $500 a week. We thought we were rich. Had a beautiful apartment until tax time came around. I learned religious taxes are not the same as normal taxes that time. $500 a week. And then as we grew up, we got a job that paid a little bit more. And then we got a job that paid a little bit more. And as we were partnered with him, can I just tell you, every job that we've had has been better than the job previously. 
Now, has that happened to everybody? No. Can I attribute to anything? I, well, I'm, I'm not talking necessarily about a better job because loading trucks overnight when we first moved here was not a fun job. And it was not a good job, but it paid the bills. Sometimes we have to do things in life in order to get to the next thing. But in every situation that we were in, every time we had a financial issue because we were connected with him, I could call on him and he would answer. It's transforming. I invite you to stand. I know that this has been different. I just got to prepare you for the next two weeks because the Lord's already laying some things on my heart for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday. It's going to be wild around here. But as wild as we can get in the presence of God, the backbone of every church is partnering with God in our finances. For those of you that have faithfully tithed, I honor you today. I honor you today because you've seen the need to partner with God, not because you're a member of Spirit of Grace Church although we're honored for that as well. For those of you that have either never tithed or you've fallen away in your tithing, I, I want to encourage you. Just give it two months of faithful tithing. And at the end of two months, look back and see what God has done. There are a couple of main ways at Spirit of Grace Church that we give. Uh, we believe in the tithe, obviously. You can do that either in the box in the back, you can mail it, or you can go online and pay your tithe. You'll see a drop-down. If you go online and you'll see a bunch of different drop-downs there, there's other things that we give to. We believe in giving above and beyond just the tithe. Okay? I believe in leaving good tips at restaurants no matter how bad the service is. Okay? That's, that's just me. Just if, you, if you're not that person and, and you're not going to leave a good tip, don't let them know where you go to church. But if I can tip a restaurant or a waiter or waitress who comes and gives me some food and sustenance how much more do I want to tip the great creator who's given me my entire life and so we want to encourage you give generally just drop if you have an extra 10 on a sun drop a 10 in drop a 5 drop 50 cents in in fact I'll challenge you since she's on vacation the more pennies When you watch this, Taryn, I love you. <laughs> oh. It's a tithe and offering. There's two different aspects of offering. Just a free will offering, which is what I just mentioned. Then we've got some focused offering. It's called our Acts Ministry, Acting Corporately to Serve. It's three main outreach ministries that we will, in the next, probably the next six weeks, We'll have a service where we commit once again for another year of giving 
to our acting corporately to serve. That, that, that comes into us and it goes directly out of, out of here. It doesn't, so if, if $1,000 comes in in March, that means $1,000 is going to go out in April to the different ministries. And we've got them broken down in different percentages as, as to what we give to each one. But it doesn't stay in here. We don't use it for here. Okay, those are the three ways. If you go online, and I just need to answer this because if you go in, there's a drop down there. There's two other mentions there. One, it's an O-N-E, one. That was our building campaign. And there are still people that are finishing out their commitment. I honor you for that, to, to continue to, to finish that commitment out to the one, the building. And then there's one that says His Hour. His Hour is for a first-time giver that's never been a part of a church that doesn't know what to give. And we challenged years ago to, if you don't know what to give up outside of your tithe, the tithe is easy, it's 10%. You give the 10% back to God. But then that offering aspect, if you don't know what to give, we challenge you to give your first hour of the week to God. So if you make $10 an hour, there's your offering. And in that hour, make sure that you have a spiritual conversation with the Lord. Dedicate that first hour of the work week to God. So if you see that drop down to His hour, that's just a challenge for, for people just starting out to give. And we still have people every month, there's some money in the His hour offering. And we want to challenge you to continue to do that. Praise God. And then finally, ask God, God, what do you want me to give? Because the more I give, the more that he returns, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You can't outgive God. Here's what I want you to do before we dismiss this service. Would you just close your eyes? Just close your eyes. And I want you to think of the five things in your life that mean the absolute most to you. If you're married, hopefully it's a spouse. If you have kids, hopefully it's a kid. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your home. The five greatest things that you treasure. And now that you are visualizing those five things, I want you to also recognize that you only have those five things because he's given it to you. He's given it to you. And so in a closing prayer of commitment, can I just tell you every time that you return your tithe, every time you give an offering, what you're doing is laying up treasures in heaven. You're putting things in heavenly hands. And when you do that, what's really happening in the spirit world is you are setting up a heavenly bank account where raw moth and rust does not corrupt. If you're here today and you would like to commit or recommit to tithing and giving. With every eye closed, would you just raise your hand all across this congregation? Maybe you haven't missed a tithe in years and you're just wanting to before God, I, I want to recommit one more time, God. It's all yours. 
God, you see every hand and every heart today. And I'm asking you now because of what you said we could in the book of Malachi. I'm asking you to open up the windows of heaven upon each person, God, that has partnered with you in returning their tithe to you and partnered with you in offerings. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to let the blessings of heaven flow freely, flow abundantly, flow overwhelmingly, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Lord, whether it be in a healing, whether it be in good health, whether it be in a loved one being brought back to you, whether it be uh, financial peace, Lord, whether it be we are wanting to partner with you more than ever before, help us to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Go with each one of us this week, Lord, and help us to uh, think on this message and think upon partnering with you and what that really means. And Lord, I want to give encouragement to those that have never been a part of something like this. Lord, let them have the strength just to do it for just a little while so that you can prove who you are in their life like never before. We'll be careful to give you praise and glory and honor and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.